Okay. All right. Uh, we are kind of merging two uh, series. I've been doing a series on the struggle with secularism. Uh, Rabbi Dowerman started uh, on the home uh, last time with uh, the faith in the home, and he'll continue that in the next two weeks. But I'm back in uh, doing the, uh, uh, the struggle with secularism. Today I've entitled the uh, message, Pursuing Holiness. We've been considering the Judeo-Christian battle against secularism. The early church battled against paganism. Supernaturalism was everywhere, but secularism brings naturalism into play and creates, in effect, a false dichotomy. A God zone where God exists and a no-God zone where God doesn't exist. And as that no-God zone has expanded into medicine and art and all kinds of ways, uh, the, re- the God zone has kind of retreated, retreated into uh, really just a thought of, are you saved, are you going to heaven, and the rest of the time we live in the secular world. And I think that that has created a problem, and it's a problem that I think is going to get worse for us as the secular world goes from being God-neutral, he doesn't exist, so who cares, to uh, God-hostile, he doesn't exist, so why are you bringing him up, kind of thing. And that is an unusual circumstance for us, but it is part of secularism coming out of modernity. If you read the secularists who were pushing, they were pushing in that direction, and we've kind of got the... Uh, maturity of those seeds beginning to happen now. Now we looked in the last few weeks on the concepts of clean and unclean up against holy and uh, and unholy or common. Uh, that which is clean is that which is acceptable for the purposes of God, for godliness in the context of holiness, that separation to God's purpose. So the clean animals could be used for sacrifice. The unclean animals could be dedicated, but they had to be redeemed by purchase or their necks would be broken. They couldn't be used for sacrifice in that context. Um, Unclean item, though, is a condition or an item that is inappropriate for God's purpose. And in many cases, the unclean pollutes the clean, rendering it unclean talked about this a few weeks ago. If you take clean water and dirty water and you mix the clean water into the dirty water, it will not make the water clean. But if you mix the dirty water into the clean water, it will pollute that water. And that's the idea of of that pollution. This is not about health. It's not about medicine. It's about an understanding of the spiritual world and its interaction uh, as it manifests into the created world that uh, you and I live as part of both. So, these concepts apply primarily to the commandments, to things worn, holy clothing, things eaten, things sacrificed to God or to idols, And this directly affects Gentile believers as a result of the apostolic responsa. Responsa is a decision made regarding what does God want us to do uh, with regard to Acts 15. We are to stay away from blood. 
We are to avoid things contaminated by idols. We are to stay away from that. We are not to eat that which is strangled, killed for non-food purposes or dies of itself. And uh, we are to avoid fornication, sexual impurity that is manifest in Leviticus. All of these come out of the book of Leviticus and specifically say these commandments pertain to the native-born Israelite and the stranger, the Gentile, who dwells with, with Israel. So this is really important and for us to understand many of the biblical texts, particularly one we're going to look at today, we have to understand those concepts. God didn't make these concepts to be studied and done intellectually as I just did. God actually created in the commandments conditions of cleanliness and, and being unclean that allowed in everyday real life the experience to be there so that those concepts would be understood. But as with all concepts of God that get revealed to us, people tend to go to extremes with them. And there are two extremes. One is to say that the clean and unclean is only about the spiritual, and therefore the physical doesn't matter. The other is to believe that the physical is actually the source of the clean and the unclean. Those two extremes tend to show up in religiosity, both in Judaism and Christianity a lot, as we try to keep our balance. So I want us to look at a passage that's a very important passage, but is uh, in most cases, translated poorly. And that is uh, uh, Mark chapter 7. Uh, but before we do that, I want to uh, talk about a verse that somehow I didn't put in my notes, but you need that one because it's the basis of this, this title. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, verse 14. The writer to the Hebrews is talking about God's discipline of us in this life with a cloud of witnesses, not who are watching us, but a cloud of witnesses who are giving testimony that God is faithful and that even his punishment of us is for our good. And it's in that context that these words are written in verse 14. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification, the holiness, that without which no one will see the Lord. Now this word pursue is a word that doesn't mean follow. It's translated some things as follow, follow peace with all men. It's really a matter of something that you energetically seek, that you are groping to do. It is a process of, of going after it. In fact, this word is much more emphatic than the go into all the world go, which is basically an as you go, do this. This one is a go for it kind of uh, term. So we are to pursue peace with everybody. We're supposed to try to get along with all men. You don't do that by 
jumping everybody about everything they do, right? Uh, secondly, uh, we are to uh, pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, we won't see the Lord because He is Kadosh. I am Kadosh, therefore you be Kadosh. So this pursuit of holiness is part of our, um, our task as believers. So with that in mind, and that's a New Testament verse, I always get accused of, well, you're using Old Testament verses and people think those have passed away. I want you to see that the idea of holiness and pursuing that is part of the biblical commands all through the scriptures. So now look at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, there is a, uh, a very important text Um, where Mark tells us at the beginning of this chapter that the Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered because they had seen some of Jesus' disciples eating bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. Because the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, observing the tradition of the elders. There is a tradition within Judaism, that before you eat, uh, particularly eating uh, ritual food, but eating generally, and this is practiced by some in the Messianic movement, there is a pouring of water over your hands. It's a symbolic wash. It's not like your mom says, go wash your hands. Okay, This is not about germs. This is not about that kind of medical cleanness. This is about the acknowledgement that what you are to are doing is a holy act, and in that you are washed. So the washing of the hands, like the baptism, is a statement of ritual cleansing and purity that is manifest behaviorally and with with religious items that are tantamount to holy water or water for that purpose. And so what happened is Jesus' disciples were eating and they hadn't gone through the ritual. And so there is a dispute that happens. uh, And they said, why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but they eat their bread with impure hands? The response is, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you uh, as hypocrites, saying, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. And he says, You are experts at setting aside the commandments of God in order to keep your tradition. And he gives an explanation of that. Now, This verse is used a lot to say that Jesus was opposed to the traditions of the Pharisees. Not so. He was opposed to the traditions of the Pharisees being placed equal or above the Word of God. And the church can be accused of the same uh, condemnation, where where the practice takes precedent over the actual biblical commandment. And Jesus gives them an example of that, We can find many examples in the church as well. The traditions are to help us do the commandments, 
not to avoid the commandments. When the traditions are used to avoid the commandments, they are wrong. One of the traditions is to use the items, whatever the ritual item is, and this can even be the bread and, and wine at the, at the Lord's Supper, uh, and attribute to them a special power rather than the truth that they're manifesting with the spiritual reality that is present. Very difficult thing. This is why among Christians there's a battle between consubstantiation, transubstantiation, and symbolic aspects of those items, uh, which I don't have time to talk about here. But Jesus is talking about that problem. And so, uh, in this passage, at verse 15, he says, 14, he says, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defiles him. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So when they leave, left the crowd and entered the house, the disciples say, okay, what's that about? Okay. The parables tended to uh, confuse people, not clarify. He said, are you also lacking in understanding? Do you not understand that whatever goes into a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Now your Bibles probably say in parentheses, Thus he declared all foods clean. That's a terrible translation. I'll talk about that in a minute. He was saying to them, that which proceeds out of a man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceeds evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. So, Jesus is making it clear that the physical world is not what defiles us. Even though there are things that are to be avoided in that context, it's more about the spiritual reality behind it. And where we are likely to be defiled is out of our own inner being. That's where the problem is. That's why we cry out to God to cleanse our heart. The problem is, these guys thought that somehow, if they ate the food without ritually purifying themselves, that the food would, uh, would pollute them. Now, what food are they eating? They are only eating kosher food. Okay? They are not eating non-kosher food. It's not, this passage is not talking about that. The statement that thus he declared all foods clean has no basis in the Greek. They just twist it awful, just awful. And every time I talk to a translator, I say, how do you get there? And he says, well, it's, it's, just what, it's just what it means. It's not what it says, oh, but it's what it means. You can't even get there from there. Okay? There's only two translations that translate that verse correctly. Oddly enough, one of them is the King James Bible. And one of them is the Tree of Life version that I uh, was an advisor in the project and wrote a part of the uh, 
the study Bible stuff, which is the newest Messianic uh, tr- translation. So let me read this verse from the King James for you. Jesus said, what goes into a man doesn't defile him because it enters not into his heart, but into the belly and goes out into the drought, purging all meats. Old King James word for food. Okay? So what Jesus says is, food goes into your stomach, not into your heart. And it goes out when you defecate, and that purges the physical. That's what the body does. Tree of life version. It does not enter into the heart, but into the stomach, and then goes out into the sewer, cleansing all foods. Right? The things that are bad in the foods get get removed from the body. The things the body needs, it takes. That's all he's saying. He's saying food can't pollute your spirit and your soul and your person because it doesn't have the capacity of entering your heart. And the heart is where the problem is. But these guys want to get away from kosher foods and so they translated in modern translations, thus he declared all foods clean, which isn't in the Greek at all. Okay? It just says cleansing all foods goes into the stomach and into the drought, cleansing all foods. That's all it says. But every translation, including the NAS, I'm sorry, uh, says that, and it, they're just wrong. Okay? What do you really think, Bruce? They're wrong. Okay? So, Jesus is explaining that defilement comes from the heart and not the external material world. But the heart and the conscience of man, as we talked about when we talked about clean and unclean, is influenced by the external material world. Now you can understand why Paul says, if your conscience sees this as wrong, you don't do it. Even if that isn't the case, because you don't violate the conscience, because that's part of the heart. And you... Be, are to be careful, he says, when you buy, don't ask, don't tell. But if somebody says this was sacrificed to an idol, or now you know that the blood is there, and the other, then you don't eat for conscience sake. Now, you're not going to eat in violation of your conscience, hopefully. If you do that, you're sinning. In this case, he's talking about the conscience of the other. The assumption is you will live by your conscience... And you will defer to the conscience of the weaker brother or the one who believes that there's something actually polluting by that physical substance. The fact that it was sacrificed to a, a God who doesn't exist is the issue. This is cognitive and spiritual. It's not physical in that sense. Does that make sense? So, with that in mind, I think this principle... Uh, carries uh, throughout the scriptures that we are to uh, be fully convinced in our own mind of what we do and don't do, not to judge others on that basis. Live by your conscience. Don't violate that. Grow in grace and in knowledge of what your conscience should be doing. Be careful of violating another person's conscience or giving a false 
uh, understanding to unbelievers who might say, but we've sacrificed this to, to our God. I talked about that last time. I'm not going to go into that more. But I ended last time with a passage I want us to look at. And that passage is 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 14. And we're going to go all the way to chapter 7, verse 1. Uh, a very important passage. A passage that generally would be difficult to understand if you don't have the background of clean and unclean and holy and, and unholy in that sense. Second Corinthians chapter 6. Paul talks about the receiving of the grace of God. And he talks about that we are now in the acceptable day of salvation. He talks about not giving offense in the ministry but commending themselves as servants of God by all that they do and by the persecutions that they experience. Uh, and he goes through that whole thing and he's trying to connect to the Corinthians because in the last book, 1 Corinthians, he let them have it. You remember why? They had someone in their midst who was in an improper relationship with his father's wife. And Paul said, what are you doing? Get that guy out of here. It's polluting the body. The behavior is polluting the body. And then he gives a whole series of if this is going on, this is going on, this is going on, this is going on. You remove it from your midst. He says, I'm not saying you remove it from the area around you. You'd have to leave the world. But if it's happening in the household, if it's happening in the congregation, which are holy places, then you have to get that out of there. In the second book, 2 Corinthians, this man has repented. What was the purpose of removing him? That the soul may be saved in the day of Christ Jesus. It was redemptive. And this guy repents and he says, come back, accept him back among you, your sinners as well. We don't tolerate sin that is intentional, but when it is turned from, we bring the person back into fellowship. So in that context, Paul says how we are to live our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership... Have righteousness and lawlessness. What fellowship has light with darkness? What harmony has Christ with Belial? And what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Now these passages are about how we are to live our lives in pursuing holiness. Separation and distinction. There is a distinction and there is a divide between the believer and the unbeliever. Between righteousness, walking in God's commandments, and Torahlessness, lawlessness, not walking in God's commandments. Between light and the illumination of God's word and the darkness of the world. And between Christ and Satan. Belial is a name for, for Satan. The believing world and the unbelieving world are different worlds. The world of the believer 
is the kingdom of God. Wherein we created in the image of God and now being recreated in the image of his son are to manifest that as light and salt in a dark world. And it can't be done if we're overly engaged, overly ensnared, overly interwoven with that world. Now, do we leave the world? Do we go into a monastery? No. But our primary relationships must be kingdom relationships, just as our household and our congregation are the primary institutions of that household. That is really a major issue here that Paul is trying to get us to understand. Now, why is that the case? He says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as he has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Now, God dwelt with Israel in the wilderness in a temple made of skins, the tabernacle. God dwelt with Israel from the time of Solomon to the time of Jeremiah, and again from the time of Zerubbabel to the time of the apostles in a temple of stone in Jerusalem. From the day of Pentecost, or Shavuot, after the resurrection of Jesus, when the Spirit of God came, He had been there, but now He was going to be in the people, as Ezekiel promised, and as the New Covenant uh, passages uh, talk about. The idea is that God dwells in us, and we are the pieces, the stones, if you will, of the sanctuary of God. God's sanctuary is Israel and the church. He dwells in his people. He dwells in their midst. He is kadosh. They should be kadosh. They are a priesthood of light and of truth to the dark world that doesn't know God. That is our calling. That is our condition. That is not always our walk. So, Paul draws on two passages. There are several. But he draws them together to make this statement. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Those passages are found in Exodus chapter 29. Where God is talking about the priests. 29.45. And the sacrifices. And he says these words. I will dwell among the sons of Israel. And will be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God. Who brought them out of the land of Egypt. That I might dwell among them. I am the Lord. Why did God save Israel? To dwell in them. To manifest himself through them to the world as a light to the Gentiles. 
And then in Leviticus chapter 26... Verse 12, God says, I will also walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt so that you would not be their slaves and I broke the bar of your yoke and made you walk erect. Paul takes that pulls those verses together and now to a Jewish and Gentile group in Corinth, of all places. Uh, Corinth is as close to California as you can get. And he says, God says, I will dwell in you, I will walk in your midst, you will be my people and I will be your God. Why? Because I redeemed you. By the Passover lamb. All of the message that we have is that we are called to God in Christ. And we come to him now to live in the kingdom awaiting its full manifestation. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. So in verse 17 he says, Therefore, because you have been redeemed. Because you are God's people. Because he dwells among us. Not in me. And not you. In us. He dwells in us. That's why Jesus said when when two or three are gathered in my midst. In my name. There I am in their midst. Right? It is the household and the congregation where God dwells. Because those are the basic institutions of relationship. And God is relational. So, he says in verse 17, Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. This calling to God is a calling to remove ourselves from the world and to... Avoid, when we are in the world, but not of it, that which would pollute our souls. We don't talk that way. We don't think about what something does to our souls. Because we have a secular mindset. This is just the world that I live in. Okay? I'll stay away from the big sins. But we don't think about any of that. And, and the scripture seems to tell us that we should. Now where is Paul Drawing from this. Well, one of this is coming from the prophets, Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah 52, uh, verse 11. When Paul, when, when Isaiah is talking about Zion, Uh, and about them being sold and being redeemed. Uh, And then he talks about how lovely on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news. This is a gospel-based text for us to keep in mind. At verse 11 he says, let me read it from 7. How lovely on the mountain are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace, pursue peace and holiness, right? 
who, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, watchmen, lift up their voices. They shout joyfully together. They see with their own eyes when the Lord restores Zion. Break forth, shout joyfully together. The waste place of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people, redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight of the nations, that, they, that all the ends of the earth may see the Yeshua, the salvation of God. Very next verse. Okay, when you've seen the salvation of God, depart, depart, go out from there, touch nothing unclean, go out from the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. We carry the word of the Lord, we carry the spirit of the Lord. We carry the ways of the Lord. We carry the commandments of the Lord. We are carrying holy stuff. We must be kadosh. We have to pursue that. And in Romans 12, you know this. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may know what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. These verses are not isolated verses. They're the thrust of what we're about. So back in 2 Corinthians 6.18, God says, if you do this, I will be a father to you. Not just a God. A father. For some of us, these are painful words. Because that term is blurred in our thinking. But it's a great word. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who are his. He knows that we are dust. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Wow. It's a relationship. It's not just an obedience army. We're the obedient army of God. It's a relationship and there are roles and rules in a relationship that make the relationship special and good and clean. No wonder he says, pursue peace and holiness without which no one shall see God. Now we have chapters and verses and they mess up context. So we have to go to the next verse, chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, you guys know the old story. When you see the word therefore, you have to look in front of it to see what it's there for, right? Because the great creator God has redeemed Israel and through their redemption blessed all the families of the earth to bring us redemption that he may dwell in us and among us and walk with us and be a father and a God to us and we can be his children in his image and the image of his son. Therefore, 
We have these promises. So let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and the spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. It's not just believing. Believing opens the door into a walk of righteousness and holiness. A walk that none of us can walk perfectly. But you really can't walk it at all if you're not pursuing it. It doesn't happen automatically. You don't just accidentally be holy and right. You don't just accidentally be peaceful. Right? It's work because it's a relationship and there's other people in the relationship and that's not always easy. But we have promises. And we have a God who keeps His promise. And that's been manifest over and over. And therefore, out of gratitude for salvation, we ought to pay attention to what He says. So how do we do this? How do we pursue holiness in the fear of God? I actually put this in the, in the next one. I've just got an outline here because I thought this would take me longer, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop anyway. How do we do this? Okay, first of all, we do this by separating from that which defiles. Things in our relationship which are defiling those relationships need to be separated from. Things that pollute our soul need to be avoided based on our conscience and based on other people's conscience. And that would include behaviors that defile as well. Secondly, when we do and we will sin and violate holiness... Sometimes you will do it intentionally. That's a more serious issue. We'll talk about that. But you will do it anyway. The the holiness commandments kind of have you stuck. You're going to be unholy at some point. Okay? There's going to be an emission. You're going to come in contact with something. It's going to be there. And all of a sudden, you're inappropriate. You're in an inappropriate condition to move forward with God. How do we cleanse ourselves? What is the ritual that conforms the body and the mind and the spirit into the reality of it. This is the power of ritual. When ritual is done right, it conforms the material, the cognitive, and the spiritual reality into the same thing. If you only make it about the physical, you just go through the motions, that doesn't mean anything. You just go through the mental thing, that doesn't manifest anything. And the heart needs those other two to be brought into alignment so that the heart stays straight. So how do we cleanse ourselves spiritually and ritually? And thirdly, how do we avoid that which may defile us? How do we operate in the world but not of it? And that's going to be the basis of the next message in this. The actual, practical, how do we separate 
from that which defiles? How do we cleanse ourselves when we have been defiled? And how do we avoid the things that are there that will do that? So the rituals and behaviors of walking in holiness will be the, the next part of this, which will be after Rabbi Dowerman finishes his series. Let's pray.